Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. Welcome to this week's episode of the Startup to Scale podcast. I am super excited to talk with my guest today, Ashley Sutherfield, who is the CEO of Metzger and Roth. And Ashley helps uh, companies navigate the co-manufacturing co-packer process, which can be extremely daunting. And I've gone through that personally firsthand with T-Square. So I know a lot of the pitfalls. So I'm excited to get into some details with Ashley. But first, Ashley, I'd just love to give have you give a just quick introduction of who you are and what you do. Yeah, thanks, Jordan. Thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. Um, so we help brands see their production options clearly clarify which production path is right for them, and then prepare for scaling their product through all the preparation that you need to do for a co-packer. And we do that by making the process simple, empowering companies with the knowledge that they need to move forward, and then building trusted production relationships with co-packers that move their brand forward. I absolutely love that. And for this conversation, we're going to jump into um, some of the details that you need when deciding to work with the manufacturer and how to build that relationship. If you have kind of like intro questions on if co-packing is right for you or not, feel free to reach out to Ashley or myself. We have an article up on the Food Bevy blog on self-manufacturing versus working with a co-manufacturer. So check, check out those resources. Um, but Ashley, I want to kind of dive in because a lot of the mistakes I see founders make come from the fact that they don't understand how manufacturers' business works, right? So once a brand makes that decision of, hey, I don't want to make the product myself or I want to stop making it, have someone else do it, um, I go to a manufacturer. But oftentimes the expectations don't align there. So maybe talk about what you find um, a co-manufacturer's business is usually like and how they make money and how that usually doesn't align with smaller companies. Yeah, really good question, because this is often one of the biggest hurdles um, when we hear companies not being successful with a co-packer. This is often where the hangup begins. Um, so when we think about co-packers, especially that small to mid-sized co-packer, they're often a family-owned business as well. So they're small business owners just like us, and they are working to produce a product probably of their own and for other companies that they, they're trying to be profitable, but they're also trying to be efficient with production. And so there's often um, one of the, the biggest things that we forget is that co-packers, while we're hiring them to produce our product, it's still ver very relationship-based. And we want to think of them as an extension of our business rather than just someone that we're hiring and want to control. If we think of them as a part of our business and really cultivate that relationship in that way, it's much more fruitful. And being sure that our values align with the co-packers' values is really important part of that as well. Yeah, I think that's so crucial. What most brands miss is like there's people on the other side and they're usually the family business and they're trying to 
um, sustain whatever it is that they're doing. Whereas as a brand, you're right, you want like the cheapest price oftentimes because when you look at the additional fees, you get sticker shock. Or the other thing that hits brands as surprises, the um, minimum order quantities for actually doing runs. And often brands fall far below that. So how do you kind of help them navigate that part of it? Yeah, so it's twofold. When we start to think about like working with a co-packer, we often think about our COGS as a set price that we're familiar with already. But we also need to think about hiring a co-packer as buying back our time. And we, when we approach that, often we're doing the production on our own in a kitchen or in a facility that that's taking a lot of manufacturing time and it's time that we can't focus on sales and marketing. And so if we view buying back our time because we're hiring the co-packer to produce, like the product price is actually a lot more valuable than what we typically think of it from a COG standpoint. Um, And then remembering that the co-packers are, we're really trying to um, get to that end goal of producing a product um, that's, that is beneficial for both of us. We want to be able to scale with a co-packer, but we also um, need to enter into that with a viable amount of product. And so oftentimes if a co-packer has a minimum order volume that is slightly higher than where we are today, we need to spend the time doing the projections to understand when we would be at that volume and if they would be willing to work with us until we get there. And so giving them an idea of when we could be at that point is really helpful, but also not being set on that one co-packer. There's plenty of co-packers out there that are smaller size as well, and they may be a kitchen co-packer. It may be one that we have to start with and then eventually move on to a larger one. But there's different options and we can consider transitioning to a co-packer in phases. I can tell you one thing that I'm guilty of and probably other brands as well, where we went to a a co-packer to make T-squares and they said, let's say their minimum quantity was 20,000 units in a run per skew, right? And I think at the time, we probably only need like 10,000, 12,000 and like at the max. And so we knew like, oh, we don't even have the money to pay for the extra. And so of course we were like, okay, well, if you just work with us on this first run, we have all these new accounts coming on board and we're gonna get to the volume of doing 20,000 minimum. And I think like we didn't realistically hit that. And we had a bad relationship with the co-packer because we over-promised what we were able to deliver. And I think that, you know, we weren't really aligned on the expectations between the manufacturer and our business. Oh, that's such a good point. It's easy to over-promise on that. And I think being realistic with ourselves and understanding that, okay, I, I cannot hit the minimum order quantities that they would be looking for. And it's going to take me another year and a half to get there. That's not going to your point. It's not going to start out on the right foot for a relationship because you know, in the back of your mind that we're just not going to be there. But another option is if you have a longer shelf life on your product, if you could do a minimum order quantity run that can you hold as inventory and work through over, say, the course of several months, and you're not doing 
as many runs as frequently. But for a lot of co-packers, that can actually be beneficial because they they need filler products and not always wanting to fill their capacity with something they have to run every week. So there's there's co-packers out there who also have a fit for that need of building inventory and just doing a run every three or four months. So let's talk about that a little bit more. Like when you are working with brands, how do you help them on that co-packer search and what are the things that they need to look for in finding a good partner and how do you find them? Really good questions. The co-packer search is, we do that with the brands that we work with, but when we are advising a company that we don't work with, resources that we would recommend using, um, Food Bevy has excellent resources for co-packing on the web- their, your website. And then uh, Rodeo CPG also has a free spreadsheet that you, you can sign up to receive. And that's actually a really valuable resource. Um, Partner Slate is a resource that you can pay for. Um, but kind of a non-traditional route that we have had a lot of success with with brands is if they're looking for co-packers in their state, for instance, um, you can reach out to the universities with the food science program in your state, and they often have a list of co-packing companies that they're familiar with, and sometimes they'll have relationships with them as well and can make those introductions, but that's often um, a search that is overlooked and can be really valuable for brands as well. I like that. And I also, like we mentioned earlier about there's different co-manufacturers, co-packers that are right for different scales of your company. And the first partner you work with might not be the last. And so talk about kind of how you might recommend a company stage up their relationships with working with multiple manufacturers, starting with one that they know they might outgrow. Um, But how should they think about that? Uh. It's so whenever, whenever we design what the potential for your business is, so it's really important to get clear on what your 10 and 15 year goals are and understanding what's that long-term strategy that I'm going to have and where am I today? And so once you get clarity around what, what is the path forward, what is it that I can accomplish in the next one year, three years, five years? Once we get clear on that, then we can see, okay, well, I could start with a smaller co-packer, call it a kitchen co-packer for some companies. Um, If I, the next phase of that would be to go to a smaller mid-size co-packer from there. And just building it out in stages is often very helpful um, to see, okay, when would I, not only for relationship management, but also when would I be incurring that cost of transitioning to another co-packer? Because we'll need to budget for that. And it's really important to take that into account for your future as well. No, I think that's great. And just knowing that you might transition along the way. Um, So let's say you've identified, I think you recommend like identifying four of the six uh, co-packers to work with. What do you then go into that conversation with? What questions do you ask and what do you need to identify? So questions that we typically recommend companies to ask are, we ask a lot about their R&D process. 
Um, so what is it from just give us a roadmap of what it's like to work with you, because these are all family owned or small businesses. So everyone, every co-packer is different. There's no framework for how to work with all co-packers. Um, so really beginning to understand what are their capabilities? What is their process for beginning to work with them? So what does that onboarding look like? Um, so questions like specific questions that we would ask are, what are your packaging capabilities? Can you run my size of jar? And do you have labeling capabilities in-house? Um, what what is your ingredient sourcing? Do you source ingredients or would I be sourcing ingredients to ship to you? Um, what are your, what is your production capability? What type of equipment do you have? What's the process flow for the product? And then on the front end, understanding when we're moving into launching the product with you, what does the R&D process look like? How many what is the fee? How many kitchen tests or small batch tests do we get from that R&D test? At what point do we move into a full-size production test? Is there any process authority letters that I need to be aware of from a timing perspective? Um, do you manage those letters and work to get those, or is that something I'm responsible for? Um, it's really about beginning to understand what, what is it that they are responsible for? What are you responsible for? And setting the expectation for both of you of how you want to begin working together. I think that's so good. The, um, those are good questions. Do you also recommend companies try to get a contract with the manufacturer? I know oftentimes they won't. And if they won't, what do you kind of need to lay out so that you're on the same page? Oh, yeah, this is a challenge. I know um, I have a product of my own and we don't have a contract with our co-packer. And there can be oftentimes some apprehension around that. Like, what if, what if, what if they back out or what if something happens and I'm left in a lurch? Um, we try to mitigate that as much as possible through relationship and communicating on a regular basis. Um, being able to trust your co-packer is a large part of feeling like they're not just going to exit at the drop of a hat. And if you ever, if you ever need to exit, that you would also be respectful of how you approach that and not just ditch them either. And so we view it as a two-way street and really just building on a really strong relationship is the best recommendation that we can give because it's, if there's not a contract in place, there's no legal ramifications, but there's at least a personal ramification if there's a relationship there. Yeah. And one thing that I um, found helpful when I did as well was to lay out all of the points that you discuss and as much as you can, like a single document. So your price, the run frequency, um, who's sourcing the ingredients, the, um, the any, like, if there's any waste, what's an allowable waste percentage and who pays for that if it's above or below, 
um, who handles like product recalls and even just like if they won't sign off on it, like writing it all in one place in an email and say, hey, this is what we talked about. Do you agree? And just have them have like a verbal like or through email, even just like, yeah, that sounds what that's what we discussed. Um, it might you know, that's still a semi-legal document that could be used, but at least you can go back and point and say, hey, you agreed to that. And if they're a reasonably good person, then they'll hold up to that deal. If not, then, you know, they're not going to care about anything else. Yeah, you're, that's exactly right. And we, uh, for the product that I own as well, we have the same thing in place. Um, we call it our expectations document, and it's just something we both agreed on that um, all of those points that you just made. And so that's really excellent um, to think about from a brand standpoint to it's, it's not a contract per se, but it is at least laying out expectations from both sides. One of the problems that I ran into when I was creating T-squares, and you talked about this a little bit, but kind of having that five or 10 year journey laid out um, in advance before you got started, because I made T-squares on like bench top testing. Um, we make custom molds for them because they're in like square shapes. And it was almost impossible to find the co-manufacturer. And in fact, we found one, did a test, it failed. Try it, went back to making ourselves, found another, did a test and it failed, went back to making ourselves. And it's just this constant roller coaster because our product was not easily manufactured. Uh, do you find that happening a lot with people that you talk to? Yeah, absolutely. We, we work with a lot of brands that are very specialized, um, but we really work to understand what is the process that they use today. And we manage a lot of relationships with co-packers. So we're trying to partner companies with co-packers who actually align and would be flexible enough to produce their product. Um, for instance, if you have a, a, a sauce or a salsa that requires a roasted ingredient in it, that's something we need to find a co-packer who has the capabilities and the uh, willingness to roast those vegetables, or we need to find a ingredient source that is similar. Um, we do work with a couple of companies that have molds as well, and it's a very hand hands-on process, right? And so finding the co-packer who is willing to do that is is really just about those relationships and we know it can be really um, stressful for companies, especially as you you may interview 30 co-packers for some brands before you find one that can produce your product in the way that you want it to. But it is worth that time and the persistence to keep pushing forward. What I'd recommend for companies in that search phase is really to get as much information from a co-packer's website and then be really detailed in your interview with them to understand, are they actually going to be a good fit? So if you have specialty ingredients or hand artisan uh, processes, it's good to talk about those up front and not withhold some of that information in hopes that uh, maybe maybe they'll get to know us and really want to do the product. It's it's really valuable to um, speak to, be transparent about that from the get-go. I love that. And then probably too, if you meet someone that says like, oh, that's not possible. No one's going to be able to make your product that way. There might be some difficulty or some truth in the difficulty, but they're not going to be a good partner for you. So move on. Exactly. <laughs> and, and 
I, we have the firm belief that there's a co-packer for everybody. It, it may take you some time to find them and they may, it may be someone that you have to start with and then transition to another, but there's a co-packer for where you are today and the product that you're producing. So it's just a matter of having that endurance and tenacity to continue searching for and working with your network to understand what other co-packers or products similar to me using like brands are often very open to sharing information and so reaching out to companies like you to ask those types of questions as well can be really valuable actually appreciate your insights today this is so great i'll include a link to um, your website in the show notes if anyone wants to get in touch but thank you so much for being on yeah thank you jordan i appreciate it